Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Handmade, the making podcast with real talk about materials. I'm your host, material scientist Anna Pajajski, and this episode I'm talking to Sam Underwood about his experience making modular mechanical musical instruments. I started by asking Sam, how on earth do you become a modular mechanical musical instrument maker? I've uh, my father was quite into hand making stuff and my grandfather definitely was so mm-hmm. um we were always bodging various things when I was younger um including you know anything from stuff in the house to then um fixing my van up when that broke down and stuff cool. like that so I've got a lot of fond memories of just fixing and tinkering mm. um I I have, didn't do much in the way of formal uh, making in my childhood, really. I, I collaborated on some projects, I suppose, with friends, just um, but they weren't really f- to any great end. They were just um, a bit of fun. And sure. then uh, I, I always then had this... I've got this fairly strong sense that you shouldn't chuck stuff away if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's driven a lot of my making over the years. I've, yeah. I've always just kind of wanted to open things up and make sure that I can fix them rather than chuck them away or find someone who can fix them even. Mm. And through that, you you make interesting contacts. And uh, yeah, and then I got into more formal making really on my own in my spare time. Yeah. So I always made uh, music all my childhood and uh, right up until present day and I used to make computer music mainly so I oh. um, I did a lot of synth building um, and stuff like that because I got to the point where either the synths I wanted were too expensive um, or maybe they didn't quite have the aesthetic that I wanted so I was building my own bits from scratch um, but to be honest I find electronics quite hard and I <laughs> I spent quite a long time trying to get good at it and I knew what I wanted mm. a lot of the synths I was making to do but I didn't often know how to make them do that. So, sure. um, so at some point I started to just build acoustic instruments because um, although there's a lot to, that I've learned over the years on that, it is 
initially quite immediate um mm. and i now build mainly mechanical musical instruments and and that definitely is kind of um a system that you can see and understand in real time and if you want to change it you you can hammer another bit onto it if you want and it will do something different yeah um and there's nothing that's hidden away in uh, electronics that you you know so it's all just on view and you're able to adapt it to mm. your means so yeah i i totally know what you mean about the the electronics thing it's always been a bit of a mystery to me how these things work <laughs> um yeah. whereas as you say like the mechanical side the acoustic side it makes intuitive sense you know how these objects resonate and how they create sound um yeah. so and and it um it responds very well to experimental practice as well which is generally mm. how i work so i you know it it is tricky i find with electronics to experiment in that direct way oh um, interesting yeah. building acoustic instruments you you can just change something and see what the effect is hear the effect and then move on from there so it's that sort of stepwise experimentation which i like about it yeah awesome so what is a mechanical instrument then what are we talking about here uh, actually, most of the instruments I make are both mechanical and modular and okay. acoustics. So um, I, I try to build instruments that um, perform across a number of r roles, really, in mm. a, what, what might be something like um, a fairground organ, I suppose, is a fairly commonly known me a mechanical musical instrument. But in a fairground organ where there's quite a lot of similarities with what I make. Um, mm. It's all locked away. Um, no one can perform the instrument really other than um, feeding in a paper roll and it'll play, faithfully play what's on the paper roll. Yeah. Um, I have all of the elements of the kind of multi-instrument, if you like, um, out on show. And um, so when playing live, there's... Uh, quite a visual spectacle as well um but it also allows me as the performer to be part of the machine and adapt um what sounds come out of it at any given point mm. so it becomes quite a responsive um mechanical musical instrument but it is otherwise largely as you'd imagine it is um some kind of drive system um which can be uh, you know on one of the instruments it is literally a drive shaft that runs um that was a uses a motor that's out of a treadmill for variable speed <laughs> cool. and um and then a, a series of large mechanical instruments that are kind of pressed against the drive shaft mm. um or it can be roboticized stuff um and again there's an issue there with the electronics and i tend to collaborate with other people for that side sure. um but they are then all acoustic and modular and mechanical in that you know that way yeah so how many of these instruments have you made um i've made i've actually made two substantial ones for myself so it's mm -hmm. two systems for myself and then a lot of my work as a musical instrument designer inevitably is led by what commissions i get so okay. some of those are in more in the mechanical uh, modular realm mm. um and and often they are a small part of a mechanical system so i might 
for example, at the moment, I'm doing something for a workshop where kids can attach um, things, little musical sounders and stuff that they've made to a system mm. and then play this system and as the system rotates all of the things come into motion and they're, they're sort of sequenced by the system mm. um so yeah the answer is that in terms of fully fledged uh, mechanical musical instrument systems i've made two and they are they are for myself but the the nice thing about them is they're kind of an endless but either one is an endless project mm. there's and because they're modular you never get bored you sure you you can concentrate on the drums for a bit if you fancy or then swap over to the organ bit or whatever it is mm. and you have this option to which is very important to me in my own work mm. because i i'm not someone who can really handle i don't know making 256 widgets okay day in day out yeah. um which some people thrive on but I, it's not it's, that's not really for me <laughs> mm, mm, interesting um i want to pick you up on your word your use of the word system i'm really interested in that that's quite the way i think of system is quite a kind of engineering concept why do you call these things systems uh they as there are certain things that you set up when designing these um, instruments, mm. which are uh, um, decided at a systems level, really. So okay. you you're you're having to um, commit to a way of doing certain things from the outset, which um, sometimes further down the line can be a bit of a pain. Mm. But you. But you, there is that element always with them that there is a, a systems level. There's, there's also um, other decisions you make that are really fundamental to how it can work. Things like um, the overall scale is really central, obviously, because I'm currently making a fairly smallish modular mechanical musical instrument, and bass is something that's quite hard to come by mm. when you build stuff small. Yeah. So. Um, those are all the sorts of systems considerations that I I think are built in for you know at a very early stage in terms mm. of how you you design the basis of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, would you be able to send me some audio tracks of these systems at play? Sure. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'd love to be able to to play them to the listeners. inspiration from for these instruments um that's an interesting question i i, I like a lot of the, that sort of music myself mm. um so i listen to quite a lot of um mechanical music and i'm i'm inspired certainly by a lot of makers who make similar stuff but obviously it mm. is relatively small field um live i particularly like them because there is that um spectacle so I've, I've always even when i made purely electronic music i was always uh very keen that there was a visual spectacle um that i that everything i was doing in fact was fairly on show yeah um so uh, there that is inevitable with the instruments that i make now mm. um especially with 
one of the larger ones that um, I've designed with a chap called Graham Dunning. And that is just, I mean, it's huge. And in the space, people surround this large sprawling instrument and they, you know, it, it, it gives a visual spectacle, an indication of everything that's going on. You, you, everything is tied together. So I think really it is witnessing a lot of live performances over the years, mm-hmm. some that have worked for me as an audience member and others that haven't, that has, has really driven me to frame my work the way I do. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and how do you actually go about creating these things? You know, if someone comes to you with a commission... What's your thought process from having that first brief to then going about making it and finishing it? Um, well, it's, in terms of commissioned work, it's always a question of how much they want from me mm. as a designer. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they will be uh, musicians or composers themselves who have quite a strong sense of what they want the system to do the the machine to do um and in those cases i'm led obviously by what they suggest but they've come to me because i can hopefully add some further thinking to it and some expertise um and uh, whatever the level of kind of doing stuff there is always a phase of um brainstorming and scribbling Mm. of ideas that there's a lot of stuff over the I, i guess i've been doing this for about 12 years now full time so that there's a reasonable amount of learning that um has come out of that and so there's quite a lot of stuff i have an intuition for um that i've either done before or have a sense will work mm. um and it it's really a kind of i blow it out the water initially to allow myself to think about ideas that you know could come from anywhere yeah and i even use some occasionally if if it's a a commission that i'm finding quite hard to interpret or whatever i might use some techniques for thinking about ideas that um you know just quite basic things like reframing what it is that they've asked for or whatever Mm. um but that helps me to think you know differently about the the project and then i draw that together through um paper scribbles some kind often make um prototypes Mm. which um can be out of cardboard or whatever um i mean laser cut cardboard is not a bad way to make a fairly rudimentary um, mechanical system so those sorts of things and and then a series of physical prototypes Mm. and that's that's really where where my brain likes it most so i i like to have a I actually quite struggle to visualise a system or a, a process when it's just on paper. Mm. As soon as I've got it in front of me and I can start to move it, I can go, okay, here's a way of adapting this to make it better. And you know, So there is a, quite a long, often quite experimental phase then with the physical making side. That sounds super fun. Um, it is. <laughs> what, I'm wondering if you can tell me about... Um you know i love materials <laughs> um i'd love to hear about any kind of maybe some surprising things that you've discovered about materials in your adventures in making or any mishaps <laughs> <laughs> um well i materials are are obviously really central in terms of my work and 
I I'm always trying to work out how to do interesting things with with materials for musical instrument purposes. Mm. Um, I mean, it really it's a that is a very much an ongoing thing. It's, yeah. it's a thing where at times. Um, well, until fairly recently, I I didn't have um, regular access to a laser cutter, for example. Okay. So I hadn't used various materials that are re- I'm finding really fascinating. Things like acetal, for example, where um, you've got this really flexible, bouncy kind of springy plastic stuff, which um, can be used in all the for all its acoustic properties, which mm. you know. I, I guess that's not its primary use for most people, but yeah. for me, I, I'm I'm interested in how I can cut it to make it um, make make it kind of flex in certain interesting ways and mm. vibrate in, in ways. And I I would say actually that the way a material vibrates is almost always the most important thing to me. Mm. Um, and I'll I'll again, it's there's a lot of intuition there. So w- when I mentioned the smaller instrument i'm making at the moment which doesn't really do bass um i've spent quite a lot of time trying to get it to do bass Mm. and that's led me to using latex as a as a sounding element so where you would have a yeah so where with a a reed uh, a free reed in an instrument normally it'd be made out of something like metal generally um like quite thin metal that vibrates but um you can with latex i found through the same process of lots of experimentation i found you can make a reed that is obviously very soft and floppy Mm. but that means that it will go off at a much lower frequency than something of an equivalent Ah, size right because it just flaps kind of much slower it's to go between its two states so um yeah, that is those sorts of material investigations that I do uh, all the time, really. And yeah, uh, I think one mishap that maybe that um, I've had is we had um, we made me and a, a former colleague of mine, David Morton, we made something called the giant feedback organ, okay. which which was as it sounds really, <laughs> but it was a it was a really nice commission. It was South Bank Centre. It was in the in the main room of the south bank center for like nine weeks or something for awesome. people to come and play it yeah um and it was these huge pipes which had a speaker at one end and a microphone at the other and an amplifier basically mm-hmm. and the the tube itself would create um the frequency yeah and we were in charge of the very very low frequencies so we were down at about 21.8 hertz so okay quite low that's just the limit and, of human detection right Correct. Yeah. yeah. So that was our job, but then traditional organs actually go down quite a lot lower than that, Do they? Um, which is a weird f- phenomenon. Huh? Why? So, wow. Well, <laughs> you might ask. <laughs> uh, there, was, there are theories. Um, I, th- I think um, Sarah Anglis is somebody who's theorised about this in the past. I th- um, she suggests, I think, that that they go so low in order that they create a sense of another presence Whoa. in in a space because you can't hear it. But she's done. She did some tests back in the day with um, something called infrasound cannons, mm. which are these were well, similar to what I was describing before, like a big tube, but allow a speaker to go down into 
um, below 20 hertz. Mm. And she played audio to uh, an audience um, with and without an infrasound channel, mm. essentially. And the way they described the experience afterwards was quite different no based way. just on, um, I mean, it was in tune and, it, you know, the, the yeah. bits that they were hearing, but it just was inaudible, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so her suggestion is that in a church organ, it makes sense to have something that creates a sense of awe and mm. otherness and so on. So I'm That's going with so that, cool. that. That's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. But yes, anyway, so the the thing with the giant feedback organ that was a little bit of a problem in terms of the materials was that the pipes flexed loads and we needed the pipes to be sensibly light. Mm. I mean, that at the time, at least, I wouldn't particularly, well, even, I mean, these, to these to this day, I wouldn't really want to transport things in huge trucks or whatever so it was a case of it had to go on the top of my van you know and <laughs> Great. We, had, we had to be able to get it on the top of the van so yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh we we had these fairly thin wall um spiral ducting tubes which uh, you mm-hmm. will have seen in kind of air conditioning systems in big buildings and stuff mm. and we used those and they were fine except they flexed a lot and okay. that led to um, a system that's already quite hard to understand because mm. feedback instruments are notoriously quite difficult to get to grips with. Um, then become had another order of confusion, which was that the pipe was flexing crazily all the time as well. So, wow. yeah. So how, what did it end up sounding like? Did it just keep amplifying? Um, it's, it was very loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's very loud. Uh, and well, there was another really fascinating phenomenon as I'm I'm sat in the same room as we built the thing, mm. um, uh, which was that we we had these only three notes that we had to deliver, and one of them was this super low twenty one point eight hertz, um, and we found after a while that we just couldn't, despite all of the um, st- structure and size and everything seemingly being correct for 21.8 hertz we couldn't get it to go down that low and we didn't mm. know why um, until David suddenly thought oh maybe it's the size of the room and we took it out in the garden and it immediately went down to 21.8 hertz um, because the room was constraining what frequency we could actually get out of the instrument um, that's so interesting something called the room mode i believe so we yeah. we did what what's called a free field test i think which is where you take it out essentially into a field yeah i mean in our <laughs> literally. case it literally literally was <laughs> uh, which was funny but yeah um and yeah so so that was a strange phenomenon mm. but it, yes it sounded very low very loud and it was part of a series of instruments that were created there were four instruments created mm. um and they played in an ensemble with um, a load of school kids who sang in a choir along with it and stuff like that. Wow. And it, was, it was really fascinating and it was really nice to hear our fairly limited instrument, really, in terms of mm. number of notes or what it could do. I mean, it, it was on or off. It didn't even do any kind of dynamics. It was just <laughs> on and off. But when in the context of the piece, it was really nice because suddenly it had this low end that... Mm that you like like with the church organ which you could kind of feel throughout the whole space yeah so yeah it, it did its job well that's so awesome <laughs> 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, I'm going to ask you another another nerdy materials and acoustics question. Um, cool. When I was writing the brass chapter of my book, I spoke to a trumpet maker um, called Andy Taylor, and he told me that he makes trumpets out of all sorts of different materials, not just brass, as is traditional, but bronze and even sort of pure silver as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always heard of brass as being what people describe as a sonorous material, i.e., well, I don't actually know what that means. Only that like sonorous indicates that it's good at like making sounds. Um, can you tell me any more about, I suppose, material choices in instruments? What what do you look for when you're looking for materials that are going to make or support sound? Hmm. It, a lot of the time it depends what part of the instrument you're talking about. Right. Um, because a sounding element itself so the <laughs> maybe the bit that you blow or yep. or strike or whatever is often quite distinct from the thing that it's then coupled to in order to make it amplify or okay. or whatever um and really <laughs> this is a bit of a non-answer but it it, <laughs> it it differs so much from across the types of instruments yeah. so i where you where you've spoken to a specialist trumpet maker mm. i am the opposite of a specialist trumpet maker really <laughs> <laughs> so i know a tiny bit mm. or maybe even a moderate amount in some mm. cases about uh, making almost every type of instrument that yep. you can make um and and also I, i'm probably i mean he sounds like he may be um quite interested in developing uh trumpet making which um a lot of traditional musical instrument makers obviously they've spent a lifetime learning how to do stuff the right way and yeah. they're not messing about with yeah. uh, random new materials or ways of coupling things or whatever yeah um but 
it, I mean, it is always in the end to do with how it vibrates and how it vibrates um, to the ends that you have in mind. Okay. And that is a mixture of the uh, material itself, um, how you shape the material mm-hmm. and how you couple the material. And, and all of those things are, are really crucial. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and in some instruments... Um, historical instruments they're even quite um there are deliberate uh things that people have done in order to make them sound that the way the way they do even though that's not considered maybe the correct way of of doing it so the there's an instrument for example called a tromba marina which is a it's a large wooden instrument with a single string mm. um and it sounds basically like a trumpet it's what? weird what yes it sounds like a trumpet and it sounds like a trumpet because it's got a bridge that um the string goes over in the normal way that a string goes over a bridge but yeah. the bridge doesn't touch um on one side it's a, a u-shaped bridge and it hovers above the wooden body on on the other side okay so as it's bowed the bridge rattles against the wood mm. And that oh, gives it the kind of brassy harshness, if you like, to its tone. Yeah. Um, and you know, you you can tell the difference between it and a trumpet, but not it's not far off. And yet, it's a, a stringed wooden yeah. acoustic instrument. So, you know, so it's little techniques like that, and how you um, structure and play with those kind of ways of um, either exciting things or coupling things, and you know, mm. that is really how i approach materials it's not very much about a, a set way of of doing things yeah. that's been passed down through generations or whatever yeah. you've absolutely blown my mind there um <laughs> i i've always had a dream of making trumpets out of stupid materials for example ice i think would be oh, really yeah. fun wow. um possibly jelly i think would also be fun <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the weirdest material you've ever tried to use? What's the weirdest material? Um, that's a that's a question I'm struggling with. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess certainly latex is a is not a material I'm that familiar with. Yeah. People generally using in musical instrument design. Yeah. Um, I guess I don't know if I don't know if it's weird in the quite in the sense that you're you're asking but there's a there's something which I used not so long back which is like um a, a string material that's mm-hmm. kind of um rubberized string material but it has metal in it okay um and little things like that can make a big difference to to me because that all of a sudden means that I can put a pickup on it if I want to. So if I don't, in the case of what we were making at the time, um, I had this idea that I needed to to be able to use a a coil in order to drive the string Mm. so that that it can kind of resonate on its own, um, creates a sort of drone thing like an Ebo does on a guitar or whatever. So that's funny little widget which allows you to sustain a string mm. um but it needs to have metal in it to do that and i also wanted it to be very low end for its size 
So again, this this is partly trying to get base into this okay. system, um, and that's a very, that is a very odd material, very odd kind of very new material. I, I it took me a, you know a, a lot of looking and thinking to consider whether something like that existed. So um, I guess that's probably one of the stranger materials I've used. That's really cool. Um, what does your workshop look like? I'm trying to imagine what the workshop of a of a musical instrument maker would look like if you're making everything from things that toot to things that strum to things that crash. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it looks almost exactly as you'd imagine. In the <laughs> the walls are just covered with um, sets of things, mm-hmm. so sets of um, different types of instruments i've got stacks of shelves with um drum cases on and uh symbols in another rack a load of uh bits of sousaphone a number of trumpets and uh, trombone bits um mm. a load of organ pipes um all sorts of things like that bellows from various things and, and so on mm-hmm. and um and then lots of random parts because of the way that I work. So there's lots of kind of plumbing material, for example, okay. which I just need to be able to think of an idea and quickly go and get a couple of taps and an air system of some kind <laughs> and clutch it all together and then yeah. see what the result is. Yeah. Um, all to do with a little, what, a little bit what I was touching upon earlier, which is that my mind likes to work with physical making Mm. whenever it can but also there's an element of um trying to prove a thing or or fail even as quickly as i can um yeah because otherwise i get a bit bored and move on well my mind's maybe thinking about the next idea before i've even tried out the previous (laughs) one so yeah yeah um is there anything that you're working on at the moment that you haven't quite cracked yet I suppose I'm interested in like what what are you struggling with at the moment? Any any questions on your mind? Um, well, the definitely the flip side of making modular instruments is that whilst it keeps you uh, with lots of interesting things to mull over and so on, mm. it also gives you lots and lots of challenges that are kind of ongoing Mm -hmm. so i'm I'm kind of always stuck on a number of things um and i just slowly work my way through (laughs) them and mostly i don't abandon them but occasionally i do but um at the moment uh i would say that well actually it's a bit of an ongoing issue that I've had is to do with um, air systems for mm. organs. So uh, th- there is a very, I-, I think it probably is because it falls more into um, your lifelong maker. It's a, it's a, a you know, a true craft skill, mm. not, w- not one that I've got any training in, but I need to be able to do all of the things that an organ maker can do at times. Right in order to build what I want to build. Um, and I've never quite nailed a really good um, set of bellows with a... Um, you have, like, two bellows that flip-flop mm. um, 
to give you kind of constant air and then a, a third bellows which is a, like a chamber for that air mm, okay to give you a constant pressure mm-hmm. and then that goes off to the various um wind chests and so on um i've never really totally got we, we i mean i've made bellows out of all sorts of stuff over the years yeah including including an instrument with um large toilet plunger bellows that works <laughs> quite well but um but it's not that's not really the spirit of a, an organ i suppose sure. so i think that's probably always been my biggest regret I, I think is is not being able to fully get on top of that sort of an air a good a good quality air system that i can use across loads of things mm-hmm. that kind of brings me to what i wanted to ask you about next is um where are you hoping to take this? You know, what are your hopes and dreams for the future? Are you building towards, you know, a, a, the biggest organ in the world or <laughs> the, the weirdest, <laughs> most most Frankensteinian musical instrument of all time? <laughs> um, it's a good question. I, uh, well, one thing that's changing uh, fairly soon is I'm starting a PhD. Oh, cool. And my PhD is on modular mechanical musical instruments. Makes so, sense. <laughs> uh, yes. And it's uh, practice based. Mm-hmm. So I'll be doing lots and lots of making of um, instruments, but also uh, it gives me the first opportunity really in my life to spend a good amount of time on my own work. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the main things that so i am quite wary for example i don't um tour very much for example um Mm. i'm i don't play out very much i'm i'm some i'm quite wary of my impact on the world i already feel like making stuff is a luxury really Mm. um so no, I, I, I think a, a former me might have said that I wanted to make the biggest thing or the loudest thing, and to some extent I've, I've done that, really. But mm. I, um, I, I'm much more interested these days in um, low-key, but really hopefully quite enchanting live experiences, um, which, of course, missed even more over yeah. recent months. But... Um, but my PhD does give because it's at the conservatoire in Birmingham. It mm-hmm. gives me the opportunity to perform with my own instruments, but also to get other musicians in to um, use my instruments and uh, work out what they think's interesting about them. Mm. Um, so I think really probably working on a a body of work, uh, some musical output from the machines that I've made. Um, because I, th- I think my, I think it's fair to say that I, I make a lot of instruments. I don't make a lot of music. Sure. And I'd kind of like to make more music. I think. That's so awesome. Well, if you ever need to pick the brain of a nerdy musical material scientist, I can't promise I'll have the answers, but I'll probably know where to look. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Is there anything else you want to chat about before we finish up? Um. Maybe I should, because I've touched upon it a couple of times, maybe I should mention uh, a little bit more formally the couple of projects that I've referred to. Um, So the project with Graham Dunning is called the Mammoth Beat Organ. Okay. And that 
that's a large scale modular mechanical musical instrument that is for uh, two players to perform with and it it's kind of um, based around uh, a mill type approach okay. so you have um, you have a drive shaft which we we did originally think it might have huge slack belts kind of drive system but in the end of that just felt too dangerous it's, it's quite dangerous as it is um, but, <laughs> Brilliant. but we've we've got a a drive shaft which then all of the modules couple to through friction and then um you you bring in and out different sounds and can, uh, you've kind of got a drum machine and a and all you know all sorts of other things mm. um within the system that you can bring in um and then the more recent work which is the project i'm taking into my phd most most prominently is um called AMS and that's uh, an acoustic modular system that um, is modular in the modular synth sense okay so the format of of AMS is uh, the same format as modular synth modules and they are controlled over CV and gate like a modular synth is okay um, but all of the sound production is acoustic ah um, so it's pretty wild. <laughs> uh, it's got things like um, if you imagine a, a modular case, and out of the front of a modular case is a bellows, mm-hmm. um, and that bellows is con- robotically controlled effectively. Oh, okay. So then, you unlike a normal bellows system where you're trying to provide a constant airflow mm. and pressure. Uh, in this case, it can be kind of jerked around to create all sorts of oh, okay. st- uh, strange parps and so on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a that's an ongoing project which I've been working on with Richard Sewell, who I think you've had on oh, yes. before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because he does all the hardcore electronics that right. I can't face. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. But oh. uh, yeah, that's uh, that's. There's an album of um, stuff out soon, um, of AMS stuff. And, yeah, lots of... Uh, it's, a, it's a very rich area of, uh, of exploration, partly because it does um, integrate with mod- normal modular synth stuff mm. as well. Mm. So I can have um, quite complex logic being done by other people's modules and yep. just plug it straight into to my modules. That's so awesome. Um, do you have any gigs coming up where we can witness this live? Uh, the, no, I'm afraid the answer to gigging at the moment is no, but that, that is a hangover of um, COVID, yeah. really. Yeah. So I've not quite got back on that horse yet. Sure. Uh, do you hope to be back on the horse soon? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I... I AMS is not maybe not quite ready to play live, okay. but there, but there have been discussions about some Mammoth Beat organ gigs, um, kind of early next year. Um, generally speaking, that is the the aim in the end is is a live performance that people can mm. experience, and and hopefully it's kind of quite a novel experience as as well as you know as well as a, a, I mean musically. 
I have to say the Mammoth Beat organ is uh, an acquired taste, I would, I would say. <laughs> In fact, most of my stuff is an, a fairly acquired taste musically. Um, because, I, you know, a lot of my work is in the experimental music realm and, yeah. and audience numbers aren't necessarily huge and, uh, and you know, we, we, we're into all of that, mm-hmm. um, but it's maybe not everybody's cup of tea. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, definitely planning to do more gigs because that's, that's where it all really comes to life and uh, gives us the most pleasure, really. Yeah, and it sounds like these systems and instruments are made to be seen and experienced. You've said the word experience quite a lot, and it, it's a visual spectacle as much as it is an audio one, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. And even to the extent that all those are considerations when building them, so I, when I started building AMS, I had in mind a possible performance scenario f- mm. for them, and you know they, I don't always get to the point where I've seen that through to its fullest extent. So things like maybe putting lights in them or, or stuff like that, or making it very overt, but mm. they're they they tend to be kind of quite. Um, obvious anyway and yeah. and you know it's quite easy to see a kind of coupling between a, a, something that we do and the resultant sound so. Mm-hmm. so if listeners want to have a look at some of these instruments and kind of see what you're up to and keep up to date where can they find you online um well, I've got a somewhat out-of-date website, um, which is Mr. Underwood, mrunderwood.co.uk, um, which will soon link to a PhD website that um, I've been building, um, and also a site that me and uh, Miles, the intern, so I had an intern for six months who came to cool. build wacky instruments with me, um, and we built a website together, so there's quite a few bits of work on on there to see um as a result of this i'll make sure they're linked up correctly (laughs) thank you (laughs) um and and then i tend to show my workings on twitter a Mm. lot so i will it's really part of my process is to um get to a point with a thing do a little video of it see what people think and also hopefully get some inspiration from them sometimes. Mm. So um, I'm at Mr. Underwood, M-I-S-T-E-R Underwood on Twitter. Fantastic. Oh, thanks so much for talking to me today. Um, this is like the combination of two of my favourite things, music and making with materials. So <laughs> it's been a real, <laughs> real joy. Cool. Yeah, likewise. So that was the fantastic Sam Underwood on making modular mechanical musical instruments. A huge thanks to him for coming on the podcast. A reminder that my book, Handmade, A Scientist's Search for Meaning Through Making, is out now, available to order in hardback online and in all good bookshops and available online as Kindle and audiobook versions too. 
Say hello to me on social media. I'm at Anna Pajaiski and say hello to the podcast on Twitter at RealTalk and on Instagram at HandmadePod. It would be awesome, as always, if you would like to like and subscribe to us on all the usual podcasting apps. And if you would like to support the podcast with a one-time donation, you can do so at supporter.acast.com forward slash handmade. A huge thanks to everyone who's already done so. It really does help to keep the podcast going. And a massive thank you, as always, to Alex Lathbridge for the music mix. Next week, I'll be talking to Steph Couturier about... Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Making stained glass. So until then, take very good care, and I'll speak to you next time on Handmade.